Welcome, everyone, to this special bonus episode of Native Exiles. And, you know, we took a summer break two weeks ago, and Steve, we just couldn't stay away. I thought we were done for the summer, <laughs> but no. This is kind of a last-minute one because I'm I'm prepping the message for this Sunday. We're in Matthew chapter 5 and talking about how Jesus fulfills the law. And then Jesus uses a, a number of examples of what uh, fulfilling the law means, of going beyond just the... Uh, the literal behavioral guideline of the law to the actual heart purpose of what the law is actually getting at at a more deep level. And one of the examples he uses is when it comes to divorce. And I just realized in my message, I did not have nearly enough time to talk about divorce. And it's such a, such a practical uh, issue and so personally touches so many people that I just thought it deserved a little bit more uh, explaining. And so that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to talk about uh, Jesus' teaching on divorce in Matthew 5 and specifically how we as followers of Jesus think about divorce as Christians. And it's a little bit of a touchy subject. Well, I thought maybe you overlooked it just because it's so easy. It's such a slam dunk. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, there's one reason, one reason alone. What's the discussion about? Yeah, so we're going to unpack this because it's a little bit more complicated than that. And before we jump in, I just do want to start by saying um, divorce is complicated. The biblical witness on divorce is complicated. Most mm. Christians don't even know that. They don't know that there's passages in the Old Testament where God commands people to get divorced. We're not going to get into that today. <laughs> but like they, people just don't realize that there's a lot of different things going on on divorce in the Bible. And so it's complicated. Uh, well-meaning people who love the Bible and love Jesus are not always going to agree on this totally. But at the same time, it seems to be super important to Jesus. And it's something the Bible talks about. And and we want to help people think through what the Bible is saying. So that's our goal today. Uh, I think we should begin just by starting with the passage in Matthew 5 and hear what Jesus says. Let me just say one other thing to what you said there. This reminds me a little bit of the topics we've been covering with you know sexual identity, LGBTQ issues, in that it's so common like you and I, Wyatt, we know a lot of people who are impacted by this issue. It's not some far off distant theoretical thing. We have family members, we have clear, close friends, we have members of our body here at Alderwood who've walked through this and are walking through it right now. It's very, very real and personal. Well, I just want to challenge anybody who's listening that it's real for you, whether you think about it or not. Like there's some people who are in the midst of a really hard marriage right now or who have been divorced and it's going to be obvious to them that this is personal for their life. But no matter who you are, single, married, whatever age you are, uh, there are people that God is going to bring into your life or who already he has brought into your life who are going to be wrestling with whether or not they should get divorced. And so knowing what Jesus teaches on that so that you can be uh, uh, an encouragement so that you can point people to the truth of Jesus, that you cannot be a, a stumbling block, not be somebody who's enabling other people to sin, but also not being somebody who's putting a burden on someone that the Bible doesn't do. Like this is, this is really practical, even if you don't feel like this touches your life personally right now. Really important stuff. All right. Let's jump in. So Matthew 5, first chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I'm just going to read uh, the two verses here. This is what Jesus has to say about divorce. He says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, two short verses. And just real quick, let's just unpack kind of the basic meaning of this. So Jesus points to the Old Testament. He says, you know that there were some laws about divorce that Moses gave to you. And 
the law in particular that he's pointing to is that if a man was going to divorce his wife, he needed to give her an official certificate of the of divorce. And the reason for that was that what that did was that allowed that woman to be legally remarried. And in this Old Testament uh, context, in this patriarchal society, uh, a woman's well-being really was dependent on her being married, being cared for by a larger patriarchal family. It's how she had somewhere to sleep, have food to eat, to be able to care for herself. This is agrarian, so most of the work being done is being done by men, and so women are mostly in the home, which means that if you're if somebody leaves you, you've been married, and nobody else will remarry you because your divorce isn't clear, then as a woman, you're in a really, really tough spot. In ancient Near East culture, there is no liberated woman. Right, there's no single career woman. Right. This is, and you can say that's bad, that's good, whatever. It just, it just it was. Yeah. And so for women to be cared for in this context, this law existed that if you're going to divorce your wife, you have to give her a certificate, which makes it clear to everybody that you have walked away from this marriage, that she is now a single woman eligible to be married again. That, that's why the law exists. So Jesus points that and he says, hey, you've heard this law. You, you know that if you're going to divorce somebody, uh, you have to give them a certificate of divorce. But then when he goes forward, he says, okay, that's that's a behavioral expectation of the law, but I'm going to get to the heart of what is really going on here. And Jesus says, actually, the heart is that your desire to break this marriage covenant, that's the real problem. So the, just the very fact that you're going to walk away from your marriage, if you're going to divorce your wife, that is a breaking of God's intent of marriage. That is essentially committing adultery. You are leaving the one that you have bound yourself to for somebody else. Uh, so this is where Jesus's ethic of divorce and marriage, where marriage is permanent, uh, it comes in really clearly. But here's why we're talking about this. Because it's not as simple as Jesus is saying never get divorced. Divorce is always wrong. He, he sneaks in this four-word clause, except for sexual immorality. So in this passage, it seems like Jesus is giving one exception to the rule, the rule being don't get divorced, the exception being uh, unless your spouse commits sexual immorality. And most people interpret that to be saying, unless your spouse commits adultery against you, that's the one exception. If your spouse commits adultery, you're free to go. Um, and once again, people could be saying, well, okay, simple. You may, Why is this hard? Yeah. I mean, like you may not like that teaching. It may be hard for you to receive it, but it's not hard to understand. Jesus says, never get divorced. One exception. If, if your spouse commits adultery, you're good. Uh, is it that simple, Steve? Well, it's not because in our Bible, which we take to be God's inerrant word, cannot contradict itself. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says something that at first glance seems to contradict what Jesus says. He says there's another circumstance in which divorce is permissible. And I'll just go ahead and read that sure. if I can. Yeah. It's in it's 1 Corinthians 7.15, where Paul says, If an unbeliever leaves, let it be so. Let it be. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Yeah, and I want to give people context for what's happening in First Corinthians 7 there, because he's addressing uh, believers who came to follow Jesus while they were married, and their spouse did not. So you're married, both of you are unbelievers, but, but you experience Jesus, you give your life to the Lord, your spouse doesn't. Now you're in this marriage where you're not aligned spiritually because you are following Jesus and your spouse isn't. And the question is, well, what then? Like, should you 
should you divorce your spouse then just because they're not a follower of Jesus? And Paul says, no, he, he says, no, it, it, just because your spouse isn't following Jesus does not mean you should leave the marriage. If they're willing to stay, you stay. Yep. If they're, they're going to live with you, if they're going to stay in this marriage, you stay in the marriage. And that's where 15 comes in. He says, but if that unbelieving spouse leaves you, then let it be so you are not bound to that marriage anymore. What's so interesting is that he doesn't say anything about adultery. He doesn't, he doesn't say like, if your unbelieving spouse cheats on you, he just says, if your unbelieving spouse is no longer willing to be in this marriage, then you are not bound to this marriage. And that's a different thing than what Jesus said in Matthew five, at least according to me. So you're saying this is not a contradiction. Well, it, it feels like a contradiction. So it, it feels like Jesus said, there's one exception. And then Paul says, there is an exception, but it's a different exception than what <laughs> Jesus says. And so I, I think for a lot of people, it's really hard to know how to put those two together. I mean, um, and we kind of have done some funny things with that. I, I mean, I, one of the most common ways that I've heard people reconcile these two passages is they go, okay, Jesus says there's one exception only, and Paul says there's one exception only, so there's two exceptions only, end of story. <laughs> and I, that never really sat very well with me. I don't know if it sat very well with you. No. No, and, and I think it's very difficult. I mean, again, this hits very close to home for me, and I won't, I won't go into all the details, but I have you know friends and family who've walked through this and agonized over this very verse, and what does it mean, and how do I apply it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the reason why I think interpreting it that way, that there are only two exceptions to the rule to not get divorced, and Jesus gives you one, and Paul gives you the second, is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, there's two exceptions, and I'm going to tell you one of them. And Paul doesn't do that either. Um, I don't think, because of, because of 1 Corinthians 7, I do not think that reading Jesus in Matthew 5 as saying this is the only exception that allows you to be divorced in a permissible way is actually the right way to read that passage. And here's why I'm going to argue that. Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians 7, knew full well what Jesus taught in Matthew 5. He, he knew better probably than most of us do Jesus' teaching on marriage in Matthew 5. So, Paul heard the teaching of Jesus. He's not going to contradict Jesus. He, he's an apostle of Jesus. His job is to share the message of Jesus. He submits everything that he does to Jesus. But somehow Paul doesn't see his teaching in 1 Corinthians 7 as being contradictory to, to Jesus. He, he believes that he is saying something that is in line with the spirit of what Jesus is teaching on marriage. So I think somehow these two passages have to be able to fit together and not be a contradiction. So I'm not going to be able to weasel out of the seeming contradiction by saying Jesus has one principle here. Paul has another principle. You're saying there's the same principle that undergirds both passages. Is that, am I understanding you right? Absolutely. So what is that uniting principle? Yeah. The, the best way that I could describe it is it seems to me like when Jesus is teaching us about divorce in Matthew 5, the principle that he's teaching is that uh, when you bound yourself, when you bind yourself to somebody in marriage, you are creating a covenant with them that it is your ethical responsibility not to break. The principle is that if your spouse breaks your marriage covenant, if your spouse abandons your marriage covenant, 
you are not wrong in walking away from that covenant as well. But only if your spouse is the one to break that covenant, right. you ethically are bound to not break it. And that when he, Jesus is talking about adultery, I think that is what he has in mind. Adultery is the clearest example of somebody abandoning their marriage covenant vows. That when you marry somebody, you covenant with them to be sexually united with them and them only. Mm -hmm. And committing adultery, I think, is the easiest shorthand for if somebody abandons your marriage covenant, you are not morally bound to that covenant any longer. uh, If your spouse does that. That same principle, I think, is what's what Paul is applying in First Corinthians seven. He's saying, "Look, uh, so you so now you realize you're married to an unbeliever. Um, that doesn't mean your spouse has walked away from the covenant. You you gotta you gotta stay in that marriage. If, if your spouse is willing to stay in this marriage, you have to stay in the marriage. Um, but." If your spouse abandons your marriage covenant, if because you're a follower of Jesus, they walk away, they leave your home, they abandon you, then your spouse has been the one to abandon the covenant and you are morally free to not be bound to that marriage any longer. So I think that's the principle. Jesus applies it one way, Paul applies it the other way. And I think that's, in my mind, as followers of Jesus, the the principle that we should seek to apply to our own marriages, the marriages of people we're counseling to our brothers and sisters within the church as we think about how to honor marriage as followers of Jesus. That makes a lot of sense to me. And and I think the way I've come to view this is I would agree with what you just said, but what really jumps out at me, like we read it in the NIV where Paul says, uh, in such circumstances, the ESV a little bit more literal says, in such cases. And so let me ask you something, Why is, is this suggesting there's a uniting principle here? We don't, if the person you're married to, they abandon the marriage covenant, there are different ways in which that can happen, different cases, but the underlying principle is that person has effectively abandoned their commitment to you and the covenant. Is that, is that what we're saying? I, I believe that. Yeah, and you're, you're pointing to 1 Corinthians 7 where it says, you know, the brother or sister is not bound in such cases. And I agree with you. I think what Paul says is in cases like this, where your spouse has abandoned your marriage covenant, you are not bound. Uh, and, and I think that's huge because that really could put believers in a tough spot where, and I've seen this happen. I mean, somebody walks away from your marriage entirely and yet, um, they, I mean, so let's just say it's two believers. Paul's addressing specifically an unbeliever. Right. Who Very specific. Uh, but let's say it's two believers or, or at least two people who claim to be believers. Right. And, and uh, your spouse leaves you. Uh, said, I'm done with this marriage. I'm divorcing you. I walk away. They move out of their, your house. Right. They, they move across the country. I have seen some people agonize over feeling like they're not free to because move on it from that doesn't marriage. fit the exact formula that Paul laid out because they don't know for certain that that person has slept with someone else, which yes. is adultery, which would get you out of it. And yes, is passage Matthew five and two, because you don't know that this person is an unbeliever. They claim to be a believer. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to fit exactly first Corinthians seven. And so they go, well, it seems like I'm not freed from this covenant. And I think what's happening there is we're over literally reading the examples rather than understanding the principle. I think the principle is if your spouse walks away from your marriage covenant, then you are free to leave the marriage covenant as well. But you ethically are not 
ever allowed to be the first one to break the marriage covenant. Right. And I am still glomming onto that phrase in such circumstances, because what that's basically saying is I think to your point, there's a principle here, but there are going to be different applications of that principle. So, I mean, let me bring this into the sticky reality of everyday life. You know, someone who does agonize, like you just said, my spouse has left me. They claim to be a believer and they want to divorce and people agonize over this. One of the principles I've come to, because I've had to deal with this multiple times, is if a person is acting like an unbeliever, we treat them like an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there just is an element here where that phrase in such cases means we need to utilize our judgment and our discernment to make some decisions around the uniting principle that you've pointed yeah. us to. And that's a huge point because I, um, I think often what followers of Jesus want is just a super clear formula. Yeah. Give me just a well-written law that I can apply to all circumstances. And that isn't what Jesus or Paul are giving you, but the Bible is giving you enough. Uh, The problem is that it takes wisdom and it takes a community. It takes pastors and elders and a church to apply a principle. It takes prayer. It takes the spirit. It's so much harder and more complicated than just a super simple checkbox formula that gets you the answer and everything. And I just think that's really intentional. I think God often works that way to drive us to relationship with him, relationship with believers. Uh, He never intended the scriptures to be just this like pocket book, rule book. That it's allows, not like case law yeah. where you can pull out some volume somewhere that has the case that exactly matches mine. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I just would really encourage anybody who's in a tough spot right now for themselves personally, or who's counseling somebody who's in a tough spot with a marriage personally. Um, this is what the church is for. You need brothers and sisters. You need spiritual authorities. You need pastors. You need elders to help you. So walk through whatever you're going through with the church and um, find some some wise counsel who can help you apply the principles of, of the Bible to your life. So let me throw in the, the sticky wicket here yeah. then. I mean, because if we're saying that there's a core principle here, but there are cases where we have to exercise judgment. And I love the way you just put that, by the way. God intentionally wants to force us into reliance on him, into community, into seeking his face. Let's talk about something like physical abuse. Yeah. How, how would we apply that principle and how do we start to draw lines in helping someone decide if, you know, maybe this constitutes abandonment. I'm being physically abused. Yeah. Well, man, I just first, I mean, my heart just breaks for people who are in that situation right now. Um, the first thing I would say is if you're being physically abused in any way, the first thing you should do is talk to some people that love you and that are in a spot to be able to help you to not go through that in silence. The second thing I would say is we need to get you out of that situation. Mm-hmm. We need to get you out of that home. Uh, and before we even talk about legal separation or divorce or anything, we just need to get you to a safe get place. You safe. If you have kids, get your kids to a safe place. So there's like some really clear first things that we just need to do before we can even assess the situation. Um, but what this really comes down to, and this is the kind of the pastoral question of, of why you need wisdom and every case is different and, uh, and, and why we need the church to help us walk through every individual case is that the question comes down to what constitutes abandoning your marriage covenant? Uh, 
Mm-hmm. It's a it's a high bar. I mean, it really is. Now, for me, in many abuse situations, I am likely to say this this really is that. This this is somebody who has abandoned their responsibility to love their spouse like Jesus has loved them, which is what the marriage covenant is. But of course, no one can attain that either. So that's that's the thing is like, um, you know, there are going to be some really clear cut things. Yeah. And there are certain situations where it's just obvious that one spouse um, has complete enmity for the other. They're physically abusing that person. At times there's sexual abuse involved, where it's just obvious, like this person has no interest in a marriage covenant with you. Uh, it's it's just a clear cut situation. And, and so in that situation, if I was pastoring somebody, and again, I can't pastor anybody through a podcast, so yeah. I, I mean, you, you really do need real people who yeah. know the real situation to talk to. But just hypothetically, in that situation, I would feel pretty confident in saying, um, I, I, be, I believe your spouse has walked away from this marriage covenant. I think you are free to leave that marriage. Uh, what's tough is that there's also a lot of not that clear cut cases. And one of the things that's just happened societally, and, I, and this might really rub people the wrong way. We have to be so careful, I, right? Yeah, so I, I just, I say this with some humility, and I hope people will give me the benefit of the doubt to read me in the right way here. But there has been something going on societally where the word abuse has um, taken on a pretty broad range of meaning. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like we're throwing the word abuse around uh, pretty liberally right now, where what I think I might describe as just really hard relational mm-hmm. things is getting labeled as abuse. And so, yeah. I mean, and I mean, help me be clear here. I, I'm talking about like spouses who argue a lot yeah have conflict in their marriage it's becoming really easy for one spouse to just label that as emotional abuse right um and i'm a little bit uncomfortable with that i I think it's much clearer for me if we really try to save the word abuse for the most extreme kind of cases. And I'm not saying that emotional abuse isn't a real thing. I think it is. So I'm not saying it has to be physical. I'm not saying it has to be sexual. I think, uh, it can be, it can be verbal. It can be emotional. There can be gaslighting. There can be, you know, manipulation. There can be all kinds of, so I'm not saying that it can't be emotional, but I am saying that, um, you know, I'm, and I'm going to speak lightly here. I hope people can hear that, but you know, if, if you're mad because your spouse is, um, watching too much Netflix and you would rather that they talk to you, that's not abuse. It might be wrong. It might be sinful. Uh, it might, you know, like I'm not saying it's not a big deal and you should right. just get over it. You might need marriage counseling. That guy might need to be in, confronted. That's what it's, I'm, it's, yeah. it's a big deal, but it's not abuse. And that, I, like, that's not going to be something that justifies divorce for me. Um, yeah. and so I don't know, Steve, help me. You can call me out if you want. Uh, no, I, but, I really share your concerns and I, I don't want to get too far into some of the different passages we might speak to, but to circle back to a couple of things and double down on some things you've said that I think are really solid. Like Matthew 18 talks about when there's sin in any kind of a relationship between believers, you go to the person and confront them 
If they don't respond, you, you take another believer along. And ultimately, Jesus uses the word, the church, bring the church along. And if that person is unrepentant, we have a, we have a big problem. I mean, this applies, I think, in marriages between professing believers. And that's where I circle back to what I said earlier. You know, if someone says, I'm a believer, you can't leave. Well, if you're just blatantly acting like an unbeliever and resisting all attempts to you know, be called to repentance, to even be open to correction, that's a huge red flag to me. So I think that points to the need for community, yeah. uh, for wisdom from outside. Yeah. That's a big one. The other one that I think about is right in the following chapter, Matthew 19, where Jesus again speaks of divorce. And he says that the thing that tears apart marriages is hard-heartedness. And I think that's a hard term to define, but when abuse, when behaviors cross the line into just chronic hard-heartedness, coldness towards a person, treating them as less than a person, as a thing, then we're getting into some really dangerous territory that Jesus calls out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's one last thing in my mind about how we apply this um, and how I might pass for somebody who is in this situation talking to me. You know, in a hard marriage that's not going well and saying, do I have grounds for divorce yeah. here? Which is often the question that's being asked. Um, one of my questions to that person is, what is the intent of your heart in this right now? Yeah, so good. Because often what I find with these passages is that people will try to use them as a way to get out of their marriage. The goal is to get out of their marriage, and they're saying, do, do any of these passages give me the out? <laughs> Please give me an out. And I, I just want to humbly suggest to people who are in that spot, if that's your intent with how you're using these scriptures, you are missing the point. Mm. The point is actually that wanting out of your marriage is not a good enough reason to get divorced. That's that's who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the people who are saying, uh, yeah, we can get divorced if we want to. All we have to do is sign this paperwork and then we're divorced. And everything's fine. And Jesus is saying, actually, no, wanting out is not a good enough reason. The exception is if your spouse has, has left you in some way, right. your spouse has left your marriage. And and so, you know, the intent of your heart, what I see in both Jesus's teaching and Paul's teaching is this wouldn't be something to be celebrated. This is something to be mourned. This is something to say, I'm committed to my marriage. I'm mourning the fact that my spouse has ended it. And if my spouse has ended it, then I am morally free to leave it. But that's done with mourning, with yeah. heartbrokenness. Um, it's not, I want out of this thing. How do I find out the Bible passage to get me out of it? Yeah. That's the heart condition that Jesus is actually correcting here. Yeah, well, I echo your concern there. And one of the ways I've seen that is that, for instance, some people read Jesus' words in Matthew 5 as if, if their spouse had the adulterous affair, they must get a divorce. Jesus isn't saying that. In fact, one of the amazing things about being a pastor and having been in the community of believers for a long time is there are beautiful stories of restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation. So it's not an automatic out. One other thing I would say, too, echoing what you said, Wyatt, is, you know, some people might even look at it kind of obscure, but I've heard the passage from Jeremiah where God says, I divorced Israel and say, hey, God divorced his people. You read the rest of the passage, like the next verse, he basically goes, nope, I want you back. I'm changing. I want you back. I mean, one of the beauties of marriage is it paints to us how incredible God is in sticking with us. We're not very good at sticking with our spouses. God his love is incredible. 
Amen. unbreakable. Yeah. I mean, that's a good place just to wrap this up that the beauty of marriage that's revealed to us in the New Testament is that it's a picture of God's love for us, of his relationship with us. And one of the most foundational aspects of the gospel, the foundational aspect of a relationship with God is that God pursues us, loves us, forgives us despite our sin against him. And part of the way that marriage echoes that is that if you happen to be married to another human being, it is a guarantee that that person is going to sin against you. (laughs) It will happen often. It will happen repetitively. Um, Part of marriage is loving that person anyways, forgiving that person anyways. That's how we image the relationship with God that God has with us. And so the fact that your spouse is a sinner is not grounds for divorce. That's and just called Of course, why? I don't need to remind you that the converse of that is also true, that we grievously sin against our spouses Absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. And we need forgiveness and we need to ask for yep. it. And so... Um, there are certainly cases where it has gone far beyond that and it needs some pastoral care and it may even divorce might be a path forward with grieving, with mourning and all of that. But, um, sin is, is part of the course for the human experience right now. We're being sanctified. We're moving away from that. We're looking more like Jesus every day. If we follow him, if the spirit's in us, but still a reality. And, and it's actually one of the ways that we get to show the world, the truth of Jesus, that even in an imperfect marriage, even married to somebody who has hurt us deeply, when we love that person, when we forgive that person, we're showing the world a reality that goes beyond uh, just even what might make sense in an impurely human term. So, so we need to wrap this up, but I think this is a really good conversation, a bonus episode. I'm glad we got to do it. I, I just want to close by encouraging anybody who's listening to this um, that if you're going through this right now, if you're in a hard marriage, if you've been wondering about whether divorce is the answer for you right now, if you have friends in your life that are going through that and you're wondering how to counsel them, I really hope people will take our advice that this is why God gives us the church. Reach out to people, reach out to pastors, spiritual leaders in your life, the elders of your church. Uh, Reach out to your friends who know Jesus and who love you and uh, go through whatever you're going through with the church around you. That's how God works. That's how his spirit works to reveal more of himself to you, to point people to the scriptures. I mean, this is, we we need community for this. And so uh, that that really is what I want kind of our final encouragement to be. Uh, We're going to end this conversation and uh, we're still on summer break. we got a fun uh, series coming up for you guys, a little bonus series on prayer. And then season three, we'll, we'll come back. We'll start in September and we'll look forward to seeing you then. But until then, uh, have a great summer and we'll talk to you soon.